Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. I did notice that when I yawned, you didn't yawn. I did so yawn. It's nice to. But I kept it. I kept my mouth closed. I can yawn with my mouth closed. And I did it so. Nostrils just flare up. Yep, I did it so we didn't start a chain reaction. But thanks for saying it again because now I want to do it again. (laughs) I'm gonna start crying. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) I'm just so emotional to be talking with my friend on this podcast. Damn it, we've already been talking for at least an hour. For at least an hour. Fun fact we always, this is our little catch up time. Yeah. Where we talk about everything under the sun but y'all don't get to hear that because i don't yeah it would just be too long and very pointless mm-hmm. and you're not here to talk about taylor's dog pooping on the floor you're here to listen to the podcast it's called this is gonna sound weird which is a podcast about true crime paranormal and everything in between i'm sydney i'm taylor and and ev- oh Oh, oh, okay. Wow. You go ahead. Wow. What were you going to wow. say? I was going to say each week we have a different theme. Were you going to say that? No, I was going to say what the theme was. <laughs> oh, well. You got to set it up. I know. Each week we have a different theme, and this week's theme is... Murders Out West. Murders Out West. What does that mean, Taylor? What do you, what do you think that means to you? Uh, I couldn't say. Uh, my I'm gonna th- say specifically Western United States. Yeah, yeah. Mine definitely takes place in the Western U.S. Um, now last when we uh, recorded last week, I said I was gonna try to find a murder in North Dakota, and then I looked at the map of the United States, and I was like, mm, it's kind of in the center. So I don't know if people from North Dakota consider themselves Western or not, but I did not stick with the North Dakota theme because I didn't want to do it and then people be like, that's not Western. Really good to hear that you're you're thinking about that. We don't want to get canceled over that. Oh no. <laughs> that's what's gonna that's that's what's gonna get us canceled. I know the people of North Dakota and they have very, very big sway in this country. Uh, so I can't upset them. There's may there may not be many of them, but they got a big voice. Actually, I don't know how many people. I actually don't know anything about North Dakota. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't know anything about them. Though they be small, they be mighty in North Dakota. Their state's very square. Well, I will. It is very square. It looks like a couple of other states. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, I couldn't imagine you making that state into like. A piece of jewelry or a piece of decor. North Carolina has a very specific shape. Oh, yeah. I had a necklace that was shaped like North Carolina in high school because that was the thing to have. And I just couldn't imagine having that if I lived in North Dakota. North Carolina is a pretty shape. I would venture to say it is the most prettiest shaped state. I would, you know, I'd have to agree with that. Now, I would also say, like, Texas is pretty cool, too. Yeah, but I feel like Texas is... If you wear a Texas necklace, that just gives off a vibe. That gives off a vibe that I ain't trying to give off. It gives off that yeehaw vibe. That's really good for like a belt buckle, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lady I follow on TikTok who is from Texas, and she has Texas-shaped everything. Plates. She made 
caramel popcorn on the black stove the other day and she had a frying pan that was shaped like the state of texas and she was making her own caramel in it hell so that's yeah but ironically enough my story this week not based in texas now initially when i thought about you know murders out west all i could think of was like the pacific northwest and california and how they had all these different serial killers mm-hmm. You know, like Ted Bundy, Golden State Killer. But then I was thinking, don't do the stories that everyone knows mm-hmm. for a couple reasons. It's played it's played out. Everyone knows them. Second, that would be so much for me to research this week. And yep. Yep. I just, it, w- it was just going to be too much. And I don't want to jip y'all, you know, by having a shittily research story. So... I, and then I was going to do the Los Files house murder, which takes place in Los Angeles and is actually a pretty cool story. But I I found like 10 different sources and they all had essentially the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be like, this family existed, the dad murdered them all, uh, goodbye. So uh-huh. this is all a long-winded way of saying that I will be doing my story on the liver-eating Johnson liver you ever heard of them liver okay no never heard of that all right well i'm gonna tell you about them um and you know so wipe your mind we are going to the wild west okay yeehaw so my sources are an article by charles stevens all that's interesting.com john liver eating johnson.com <laughs> And Forgotten Lives on YouTube. So, John Jeremiah Garrison Johnson was born in 1824 in Little York, New Jersey. Johnson's father was an alcoholic who sent John to work on farms in order to pay off his debts. And John tried to escape farm work by becoming a coastal schooner, which basically means you hunt whales. Which I think of, you know, like... Like Moby did. Yes. So. And as an adult, Johnston grew up to be a short-tempered and violent drunk, similar to how his father was growing up. He also grew up to be around six feet tall and weighed 260 pounds. So he pretty much stuck out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. So he chooses to enlist in the U.S. Navy at the beginning of the Mexican-American War. But, being that he, you know, kind of had a short temper and didn't take well with authority, his career in the uh, Navy did not last very long. Because, uh, after basically striking an officer, he flees the Army. Which meant that he was considered a deserter. So... He has to get out of Dodge, because back then, if you deserted the armed forces, they would find you and they would hang you. So, he goes to the clear other side of the nation, moves out west, and changes his name to John Johnson. Because he was born Johnston, now he is John Johnson. No T. Creative. So, he moved around, yeah, I know. (laughs) But I get, you know what, I get that. Like... You can't make your fake name too outlandish because then you won't answer to it. 
you know? Yeah, I guess so. That's true. Like, I don't know. I feel like if I had a fake name, it'd have to be, like, Cindy. Because, or Lindsay, or Tiffany. Something that kind of rhymes. Because I'm just, you know. I wouldn't answer to, like, Jessica. I'd be like, you talking to me? You know? I wouldn't know. So. True. I get it. So, he moved around for a bit, working in mining in California and Colorado, and I envisioned him to be a very, like, man's man. Oh, yeah. Think of, like, uh, like you know, Nick Offerman, who was in yeah. Parks and Recreation, yep. who played um, Ron, you know, just, like, good, like, woodworking man, probably just, like, likes to drink scotch and bourbon, mm-hmm. you know. Probably has a hell of a mustache for a beard. Oh, yeah. So, he was very good with working with his hands. So, he became a wood hawk, supplying wood to ship builders. And, like many men, was excellent at hunting and tracking. Remember that for later. Okay. So, while out west in Montana, Johnson met a young woman who was a member of the Flathead... Okay, so the articles I read said Flathead Indian tribe. I, I'm i going to say Native American, but it might slip because I co- may have copied and pasted some things. So I do want to apologize if I use incorrect verbiage. So the two meet, they fall in love, and they are soon married. And they live in a log cabin that Johnson had built for the two of them. And soon they learn that his wife is expecting a baby. So things are beginning to turn around. You know, he seemed like he kind of had a bad life. Mm -hmm. Probably didn't have a good home life growing up with his father being an alcoholic. You know, so now he's going to have a nice family of his own. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I'll tell you. Well, sometime in 1847, a group of Crow native men, and Crow is the name of the tribe, attacked Johnson's home, killing his pregnant wife, no. and burning his house to the ground. So Johnson was obviously enraged by this. So he vowed to kill each member of the Crow tribe in order to get his revenge. Shit. So, I know. So, Johnson devoted all of his time to tracking members of the Crow tribe. Once he found a member, he would scalp them to death. But he didn't stop there. He would remove the victims' livers and eat them. Mm. Oh. Why? And according to the beliefs of the Crow people, they believed the liver was tied to a person's soul. Oh. So it was their belief that the liver was necessary in order to enter the afterlife. So by taking the livers out and eating them, Johnson was not only ending the victim's life on Earth, but their possibility of having an afterlife. I wonder why, are you going to say, why the liver? I wonder what, like, why do they think the liver holds your soul? I don't know, but I feel like that is similar to uh, in ancient Egypt. They believed that different organs had different properties. Um, and so, you know, like, whenever you died, they would remove certain organs and put them in jars and stuff like that. 
Um, but I don't know. I don't know why they specifically thought the liver. Because I'm like, okay, you open up a body, you look at all the organs inside. Like, what makes you say this one? This is the one that holds the soul. I'm going to have to look this up. I'm, I mean, not, you know, now we would be like, oh, your heart. But I'm like, your heart's just another fucking organ. So, but what I about mean, the liver? Important. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, if you open it, it's not going to have maybe this, like, symbolism. Also, you know, if you're, like, an ancient people, you might not realize what up in there is doing what. You know what I'm saying? You might not realize the heart is what is actually making all that move. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I think, you know, we obviously can't relate because our livers are in terrible shape. Thank you, college. Aha. But I don't know. I also think of, like, whenever you, like, look at a liver, it looks very different from every other it thing. It does. It's, like... It's kind of, like, shiny. Yeah, it looks... It's, like, almost looks like it's a different type of material. But I don't like looking at organs at mm-hmm. all because I get nauseous, so... Yeah. So I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure there's a thought process to it, but I don't know. But that was their belief that you had to have your liver in order to enter the afterlife. So, Johnson's murder spree spread over 25 years and resulted in the death of nearly 300 crow natives. Soon, Johnson's uh Johnson was feared amongst all tribes, not just the Crow tribes, because they would hear this cr- these crazy stories of this man who was killing natives and eating their livers. You know, that's just insane. So, um, with, like, this story of him, he earned his nickname Liver-Eating Johnson. And, at one point, Johnson was abducted by a group of Blackfoot natives, uh, who intended to sell him to the Crow tribe, but Johnson managed to escape and scalped the guard who was supposed to be watching over him. And evidently, they had starved him while he was there, so mm-hmm. he cut off the leg of the guard and ate it before fleeing into the woods. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after 25 years of murder, Johnson entered into a truce with the Crow tribe. And in the articles I read, it said that the truce may have had something to do with the fact that there were a lot of native wars going on between tribes. And so different tribes were starting to, like, form alliances and truces. But mm-hmm. I don't really, I, for me, I just couldn't make the connection of what that had to do with him so i don't know if maybe like he decided to enter into a truce because he didn't have beef with other tribes i don't know Hmm. but all you need to know he entered into a truce and after making peace with the crow johnson joined the company h second colorado cavalry of the union army in st louis in 1864 after but after his service he moved to montana and was appointed deputy sheriff. Oh. And later, he became town marshal of Red Lodge, Montana. But in 1899, Johnson moved to a veterans hospital in Los Angeles, California, where he died on January 21st, 1900. And his body was buried in California for many years, but with, like, negotiating 
and like dispute his body was moved to old town in cody wyoming which is where most of the killing took place it's where his cabin was located uh and to this day locals claim to smell pipe tobacco drifting into camp and report seeing a ghostly figure of johnson leading a pack of string down an ancient trail smoking a pipe in the moonlight mm-hmm. now after hearing that crazy story you are probably thinking it's hard to believe that this story is true <laughs> well it may it may not be um Damn it. there is no actual written proof to prove that johnson ever had a wife or that she was murdered by members of the crow tribe uh, and while Johnson has admitted to killing some Crow members, it is said that this was done in self-defense. Therefore, the tale of uh, John liver-eating Johnson is widely considered a myth. But I'm thinking, I mean, there's got to be some truth to it, right? I mean, a story of you killing 300 people and eating their livers... That doesn't just come out of the blue, right? And, like, was the story going around while he was still alive? Yeah. People were terrified of this man. Well, then you would think that he would, like... Yeah, you would think some of it's true if it was going around while he is still alive. I mean, if he just killed a couple in self-defense. I mean, I feel like everybody was killing people in self-defense back then, right? They come up on you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I also think, like... You know, if you hear in these rumors, you know, I would probably hype them up myself. If there was a rumor (laughs) that I thought was kind of making me seem like a badass, which I feel like in the Wild West, you needed to be a badass or else, you know, people would be fucking you up. I'd be like, hell yeah. Hell yeah, I'd be eating all them livers. Delicious. Good for me. I like it. It's also true. You won't sound a little crazy so people won't mess with you. And if they do mess with you, they'll be scared of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the story of liver-eating Johnson has gone on to inspire the novel Crow Killer, the Saga of Liver-Eating Johnson by Raymond Thorpe and Richard Bunker, and has gone on to uh, inspire the film Jeremiah Johnson, starring Robert Redford. And while I have never seen that movie, uh... The picture of Robert Redford is, like, the most, like, I feel like, popular picture of Robert Redford. So, like, you've you've definitely seen the picture. I feel like if you asked your dad, he would probably be, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. A hundred percent. I'm sure he has. What was the name of the movie again? It is called Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, it's like a black and white pic uh the picture that i am referring to is like a black and white picture but it's like that's that meme <laughs> i'm gonna of robert redford you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yes i've seen that picture before and do you know who i thought that was this whole time who zach galifianakis <laughs> you thought that was zach galifianakis <laughs> yes i 
pulled this up and I was about to be like, bitch, did they do a reboot with Zach Galifianakis? You can't tell me that don't look like him. I mean, I guess a little bit. No, we're going to have to do a poll for this episode. Does this look like Zach Galifianakis? It does. I swear to God, it does. And I feel like this picture is also very popular. Like, this is a picture I think of, too. Oh, I... But, yes. (laughs) The movie is starring Robert Redford, not Zach Galifianakis. I'm pretty sure... The, that, you know, Zach Galifianakis was maybe, I don't even, was he even born Probably yet? Probably not. It was not. 1972, so he he might not have even have been born yet. I feel like he was probably born in, like, the 80s. Y'all but cannot tell It was 1972 me. when it came out. Look, I'm sorry. That man is Zach Galifianakis. I'm telling, I mean, look at this. Well, y'all are in a podcast form. You see, and then that. I mean, yeah, no, I can person. definitely see it, but I just feel like. You're not giving credit to Robert Redford. Robert Redford was looking good. I mean, granted, he was, I guess, eating livers in that movie, so he probably needed to look a little rough. But yes, if you see the picture, <laughs> you'll know it's the meme. It's a, it's a meme. It looks like a meme. But yes, yeah, so that is the story of the liver eating Johnson. Thank you for that story. As much as... Oh. That story shook me. Unfortunately, the fact that that guy is not Zach Galifianakis has shook me more. Oh God! Yeah, next week I'll try to I'll try to shock you even more. <laughs> you know, with another celebrity uh, doppelganger. Yes, please do. Maybe that'll be our theme. It won't be, but that will be that will be something. <laughs> but yes, thank you for your story on liver eating Johnson. Yes. You're welcome. I've never eaten liver myself. Uh, I'm pretty sure my grandma used to get it from uh, KFC. (laughs) Um, I just remember when I was younger, my mom would joke, like, you better eat whatever I cook you or next time I'm going to give you liver and onions. Uh You know what I mean? uh Uh-huh. And so I grew up thinking liver and onions was going to be, like, the grossest thing in the world. But also when I think of liver, I think of, like, Hannibal. Like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Like I had his liver with a side of fava beans and a nice candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So my story this week is a little different than yours. I also didn't go... Clearly. I also didn't go the uh, like serial killer route. There was just, like you said, too basic. Mine may be a little basic, but we'll see. Um... I'm not going to tell you who it's about quite yet. We're just, we're just going to pop into it. But I will tell you my sources. Uh, and also, mine's a little bit longer than usual, so I won't make it too long. But luckily, we kind of balanced each other out, and we didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, my sources. Wikipedia.com. ABCnews.go.com. My Mother's Sins on 2020. CrimeMuseum.com. And Delaney rbartlett.medium.com So, on the night of May 19th, 1983, a woman drove up to McKenzie Willamette Hospital Emergency Room in Springfield, Oregon. She was in terrible distress because three, all three children were in the back seat of her car. They were all under the age of 10 and they were covered in blood because they had all just been shot. 
Say less. I already know. Mm. Say less. <laughs> I already know it. Well, some people might not, but we'll see. So, when the emergency room staff came out to help the children, they had to declare one of the children, Cheryl, who was only seven, they had to declare her dead. And they took the other two children into the hospital with life-threatening injuries. So, Danny, who was just three, was paralyzed from the waist down. And Christy, who was eight, had suffered a stroke that had disabled her. So, not only, though, had the children been shot, the mother had also been shot in the forearm. And the mother had, her arm was all bandaged up when she got there. None of the children had a bandage, but the mom did have a bandage around her forearm shot. Uh, so when asked what happened, the mom said that she had been driving down a dirt road with all the kids sleeping in the back seat when a shaggy-haired man flagged her down. So she stopped, and when she stopped, he demanded that she give him her car, but she refused. And at this point is when the man shot her children, and she had a struggle with the man, and that is when he shot her in the forearm. And so... She said after this, you know, she was in the car, so she drove like crazy to get to the hospital as fast as she can so she can get help for her children. So, while this story is obviously terrible, a young mother has just seen her children get shot, uh, the investigators, you know, they had to come out and see what was going on. So, they started questioning this woman, you know, to see her story and, like, what happened. Uh, and obviously, the event that she was describing, very traumatic. But when the police were questioning her, she was a little too calm. You know, some people, when stuff like this happens, they act different ways. But she was she was a little too calm, you know? Like, if, if my three children had just been shot, I would be just off the walls, insane, crying, running around, all sorts of stuff. I don't even know. Um, she was also, you know, kind of acting a little inappropriate, saying inappropriate things to the police and to the hospital workers. So now you're probably wondering. Well, Sydney's not wondering. But some of you may be wondering, who is this woman? Who is this woman? So, this woman's name is Diane Downs. And she... Mm. <laughs> you, you heard of her? That bitch. That bitch. I know. I know. So, she was born uh, August 7th, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, you know, she grew up in a religious household. And as a teen, she rebelled against her parents... Uh, one of her little rebellion things was to go by her middle name, Diane, because her first name, I'm pretty sure, was Elizabeth. Um, and she also started dating a boy who lived across the street from her, and his name was Steve Downs. And after high school, Stephen joined the Navy, and Diane went to Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. But after just one year, she was expelled for promiscuity. So, or, <laughs> I don't know quite what that means. Uh, back in those days. But in the end, she probably wore her skirt above her knees. God dang it. I did that sometimes. You know, I had to wear a, a skirt to high school. And uh, I got in trouble a few times for that. Uh, but in the end, you know, even though she was being a little promiscuous, whatever that means, her and Steven got married. Uh, the marriage was pretty rocky from the beginning, though. But they did soon start having children. However, Diane was a little sneaky, and she got pregnant without, like, consulting with Stephen. It seems like he thought she was on birth control, but she wasn't, and so she got pregnant. Uh, and then she ended up getting pregnant again, and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. 
and he said that it's like she wanted to be pregnant. He said she liked being pregnant, but didn't actually like raising kids. Um, And after their first two kids, Stephen was like, I'm getting a vasectomy because he did not trust her to take birth control. He was scared he was going to get tricked again. Um, So he got a vasectomy. But then, now this part was weird. I couldn't really tell exactly what happened because it said after he got the vasectomy, either she got pregnant right before he got the vasectomy or she got pregnant right after because she was cheating on him. Either way, she got pregnant and then she ended up terminating the pregnancy. So... Then in 1978, the whole family moved to Mesa, Arizona, and while there, Diane engaged in multiple affairs. She actually became Mm. pregnant during one of these affairs and gave birth to her youngest child, Danny. And even though Stephen knew that Danny was not his son, he accepted him, Uh, but then a year later, Stephen and Diane divorced. So, for the next few years... Diane dated various men, and she even tried to become a surrogate mother to, like, make some money for herself, but she failed two different psychiatric exams, and uh, apparently she found this funny that she failed these exams, and she would tell people and, like, brag about it. I guess, I don't, like, why I'm too crazy, um... But eventually she was able to be a surrogate mother um, and she did get some money and she did give the kid up for adoption. So she like, you know, didn't try to keep it or anything like that. Um, But she finally got a job as a postal worker to, you know, make some money. And around that time is when she met and fell in love with a man named Robert Knickerbocker, which will come back up a little later. So... Knickerbocker. Yeah, that last name. Some sources said she called him Nick, I guess, short for Knickerbocker. But we're going back to the night. Perhaps. We're going, now we're going forward again to the night of the shootings. So, police are... A time jump. Yes, yes. So, police are questioning this woman, Diane, who I have just told you about. Um, And so, they were questioning her, and they, you know, kind of started pushing her on her questioning. You know, they wanted to kind of cracker because they knew that something wasn't up. So, about four days after the incident, the police got Diane to come to a reenactment for them of what happened the night of the shooting. And the police were going to record this reenactment. And so, when Diane showed up, she um, was prepped for cameras. Um, And when she was sitting in the car, you know, getting ready to show what happened, she's seen in the mirror, you know, primping her hair, making sure makeup looks good. Um, Now, her children are lying in the hospital, potentially dying, and she's worried about, you know, what her hair looks like. Um, so, when the reenactment begins, she's acting incredibly odd. Like, she's laughing. You can, you can find this video on YouTube. It's very easy to find. She's laughing, kind of running around. She hits her cast, like, when she's getting back in the car, because, you know, she got shot in the forearms because she has on a cast. And she's like, ow, that almost hurt more than... And then she, like, stopped talking. And so they are like, oh, did it hurt more than when you, you know, shot yourself, you know? Anyway, this woman, she's acting wild. And so the police continue to question her and they're like, okay, now you said you were out driving around late with your children. They were like, why were you out that late at night driving with your kids, you know? So she told police that she was taking her children to go sightseeing. Uh, But they didn't believe this because, well, it was nighttime. All the kids were asleep Um, And, uh, you know, there aren't many sights to see at nighttime on a rural dirt road. So, the police were not buying that. 
And along with this, the forensic evidence did not match her story. There was no blood spatter on the car where there should have been. There was none on the driver's side where she said she was shot like at. Uh, There's also no gunpowder residue on the driver's side of the car or on the interior door handle. And if she had been shot in the manner she said, then these would be present. So clearly, it's not looking good for her at this point. Her story is crumbling. But she doesn't make it better for herself because on a visit to go see her two injured children in the hospital, she decided to call Robert Knickerbocker, who was uh, a former lover and co-worker of hers. Now, at this time, she was considering him as like her boyfriend, but it wasn't quite that. Um, Knickerbocker was a married man. Um, and she was, yeah, so he was married and she was still like trying to get with him, uh, and bringing him into the mix just made her first off look bad. And second off, he was actually able to help corroborate some information that the police needed. So when the police were questioning Diane, they asked her, you know, like, do you own a gun? And she was like, no. Uh, but she did actually own a gun, and both her husband, Steve Downs, and Robert Knickerbocker told the police that she owned a 22 caliber handgun. Now, the police weren't actually able to find the gun itself, but they did find unfired casings in her home with extractor markings from the murder weapon. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I just assumed that whatever shot them, like those fit it, you know, even though they didn't have the murder weapon, they were able to use those casings. Um, Again, though, not looking good for her. It is not looking good for her. And then, some even more damning evidence comes out from witnesses who recall seeing Diane driving the night of the alleged attack. Witnesses say they saw Diane driving that night toward the hospital, but that she was driving only at around five to seven miles per hour. And this clearly contradicts her claim that she drove so fast to the hospital to get help for her children. And, you know, obviously, you're not going to drive that slow when your children are in the backseat just having been shot. But let's be honest, no one drives that slow. On the Like, you just don't drive that slow. No, I don't even drive that slow through, like, a residential area. I don't either. So, I'm just like, girl, you must be crazy. Because, obviously, we know what you're doing. You're trying to buy time. But at the same time, you know people are going to, like, people are going to notice a car going five miles an hour. Especially, like, on a country road. You'd be flying. I'd be going 70 down these country roads at nighttime. Absolutely. I'll be taking them turns. Woo! <laughs> I know. Brand- Every time we go home, like back to Rutherford County home, Brandon is always like holding on to the damn car going, please slow down. Slow down. <laughs> I'm like, boy, these are my roads. Just sit still. We'll be all right. Listen, I- Listen when you go back home and you know like exactly where every turn is, you just be whipping it. Oh, yeah. Um... But also around this time, so Diane's daughter, uh, the one who was still alive, she actually was able to start speaking. Her her speaking ability, though, was impaired because she had had a stroke. But when she began speaking, the police were trying to ask her, you know, her version of the story. And in her version, once she could remember, there was no, quote, shaggy-haired man. And so Diane's story is crumbling. 
And also, during all of this, Diane decides that she's going to do some interviews, lots of interviews, with media outlets. And during these interviews, you know, a lot, like, some of the interviews were like, do you want your lawyer here with you? Or do you want your lawyer to speak on your behalf? She was like, no, no, I'll do it myself. And so, she tells her story. The story spirals. She adds in new details. And as we know, the more details you add, the less your story sounds real. At this cl- at this point, it's clear that she's been, a, like, suspected of this crime. And she's starting to declare her innocence publicly. And when she would do these interviews, she wasn't acting what you would think, you know, a grieving mother would act like. She talked a lot about herself and how the ordeal affected her. She'd be like, well, I'm suffering and blah, blah, blah. And she would smile and laugh during these interviews. And one reporter asked her if she considered herself lucky um, for only have gotten such a, like a minor wound on her arm while her kids got these like fatal shots. And she said that it was actually her children who were the lucky ones because she had not been able to tie her shoes for two months. Huh? Huh, bitch. You need to get some Velcros. Yes. So she said that her children were lucky. Um, she basically was like, the one was lucky because they died and they don't have to remember this. But I'm like, well, the other two are, you know, in a hospital. I'd... Look, I can't. I can't with this woman. So, obviously, there is evidence upon evidence leading to this woman have done this. But the police also were able to find a motive. Because, okay, a mother, like, tries to kill her children. But, you know, what is the motive? That's odd. Most mothers wouldn't do that. Um, So, when the police did a search of her home, they found diaries that Diane had written in extensively about her intense obsession with Robert Knickerbocker. They found out that Diane had tried to force Robert to leave his wife, but that he refused. And Robert also reported that Diane had stalked him and threatened to kill his wife. And so when Diane moved away, she moved from, I think they were in Arizona. So when she moved away from Arizona, away from Robert, she just could not accept that the relationship was over. But in April of 1983, the two of them met up, and Robert broke it off for good. He was like, we're not doing this. And apparently, though, during the meeting, he said that he had no interest in, quote, being a daddy to her kids. Which she took, the police think, you know, she took this and ran with it. And she was like, oh, he doesn't want to be with me because he doesn't want to have to raise my children. So, she decided she was going to kill her children. Um, Even though I'm like, girl, no. He just said that because he was probably trying to be nice. And he was like, look, I I don't want to help raise children. Sorry. It it wasn't about the kids, honey. It was not about the kids. It was about you. No, it was about your crazy ass. Yeah. Yeah. No. He just didn't want to leave his wife. He didn't want your crazy ass. Dang. So, after all of this evidence piled up. She was finally arrested on February 28, 1984, which was nine months after the shooting happened. She was charged with one count of murder and two counts of attempted murder and two counts of criminal assault. So Diane's trial started in May of 1984, and when she arrived in the courtroom, she shocked the nation yet again because she was 
pregnant. <gasps> so she had told a reporter that she had seduced a man who lived on her mail route right before she got arrested and got pregnant by him. She says that she got pregnant because she missed her children so much. She said, quote, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect they give you. And children are so easy to conceive. What a bitch. First off, it oh. might be for you, honey, but not for everybody else. I also am thinking, like, I wonder if she got pregnant thinking that maybe she wouldn't get us, like, such a harsh sentence. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, since she was, you know, she get, like, some sympathy from the courtroom, like, oh, she's pregnant, you know, or, like, they won't send a pregnant bitch to jail. Yeah, they will. They will. Honestly, I think so, and I think she just wanted more attention, and obviously, if you get pregnant after you've just killed your kids and you are pregnant during a trial, she knew she was going to get so much more attention. So much more. Because, obviously, that's wild. Like, what the hell? So, at the trial, Diane really showed how callous and remorseless she was. When one point, the song Hungry Like the Wolf was played in the courtroom, and this was said to be the song that was being played when her children were shot. When she shot her children, should I say. When this song, though, came on in the courtroom, she started tapping her feet and bobbing her head to the music. And was, like, dancing to it in the courtroom. You know what? It's a banger. So I'll give, her, I'll give it to her on that one. It's a banger. But Ma'am. Probably the wrong place, the wrong time. Hell no. I don't give it to her. It ain't even that good. <laughs> Ma'am. It ain't that good. Every time I think of Hungry Like the Wolf, I always think of, have you ever seen the movie Big Fat Liar um, with um, Frankie Muniz and um, Shia LaBeouf? Amanda Bynes? No, no. Aww. No, no <laughs> hell no. You sure? No, it's, what are you thinking of? Uh, it, it's the one where they turn. They turn blue. Um, they turn them blue. They turn them the blue. If you haven't ever seen it, it's a very good movie. It from my childhood. Uh, one of Amanda Bynes' best work. But there's a part where like he's dancing to "Hungry Like the Wolf" and then he jumps into the pool and they had turned his pool blue, so he turns blue. It's like a whole thing. I don't know why. That's that's what I think of. I definitely know the movie you're talking about. For some reason, I haven't watched it in a long time. I don't even know if I've ever watched the full thing. But for some reason, I thought that Shia LaBeouf was Frankie Muniz. I have no idea why. He is not. He is not. But I, I at first I thought you were thinking you were like getting Big Fat Liar and Holes mixed up. But how could you ever get Holes mixed up with anything? I know that cinematic masterpiece. I love Holes. My goodness, I love Holes. Okay, now one of the most convincing pieces of evidence presented at the trial. Uh, for Diane's guilt was when the prosecution brought in their star witness, who was Diane's own daughter, Christy. For her testimony, she was only asked one question, which was, who shot you? And she replied, my mom. So, could you imagine being there with a little girl? Also, what do you do? I mean, what do you? Th I wonder what Diane did when she was up there and her daughter was having to look at you and been like, "I can't believe you shot me." What the heck? 
I don't know, because obviously Diane doesn't have sympathy, so she's probably just like, I can't believe that this kid is ruining my career. I know. You know what I mean? Like, she would she oh, would yeah. somehow make it about herself. Oh, for sure. She probably was like, well, the, the police kosher say this or something like that. Um, but Diane was found guilty on all three counts and sentenced to life in prison, plus 50 years, in the Oregon Women's Correctional Center. And between the time of the verdict was announced and the time of her sentencing, she gave birth to the baby that she was pregnant with, and it was named, or the baby was named Amy Elizabeth, who was taken by the state and was adopted. And if you watch the 2020 episode, My Mother Sins, it features her, and it is a very good, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a documentary. It's, it's 2020. It's very good, and it features her and kind of her story, you know, being the daughter of Diane Downs. But she was, like, raised by nice parents. Um, and when Diane got to prison, she was looked at by psychiatrists who diagnosed her with narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorders. She also had her parental rights terminated to both of her living children, and they were actually adopted by Fred Hughey, who was the attorney that prosecuted Diane, which was kind of sweet. He kind of him and his wife kind of formed a bond with the two children that were um that survived and they adopted mm-hmm. they adopted them so i thought that was sweet oh that is sweet however the story is not over yet because on june 11th 1987 three years into diane's sentence she escaped from prison she was able to scale a 15 foot high chain link fence She used her clothes as kind of a barrier to protect her from the barbed wire on the top, and she ran. She ended up going to a house that was about four blocks away, where a man named Wayne Seifer, I think that's how, Wayne Seifer lived. He was a psychiatric aide and the estranged husband of one of Diane's fellow inmates. She knocked on his door and asked if she could stay And he was hungover, and he just said, sure, why not? And he went back upstairs and went to sleep. But he didn't know who Diane was. She introduced herself, but she didn't introduce herself as Diane. Uh, She just, like, introduced herself as a naked lady who needed a place to stay. Because she used her clothes, you know, to climb over, and I guess they got stuck on the barbed wire. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the two of them ended up having a sexual relationship. um, as, As Diane hid out in his bedroom. Um, Seifer said that he spent 10 days with Diane and that he fell in love with her. Uh, and so while their little love fest was going on, the police were searching for her and they were searching across 14 states, but no luck until they searched her cell in the prison. They found a clipboard where I guess there was some paper under where she had been writing some notes and they were able to, you know, look at the imprints of the notes that she'd taken, and it revealed where she had escaped to. So, ten days after the escape, the police raided the home that she was staying in. They found Diane in the man's bedroom, wearing just his t-shirt and his boxers. And after all of this craziness, they got her back to the prison. She received an additional five-year sentence for escaping and was transferred to Clinton Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey, 
and she now remains in Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. And in 2021, she's eligible for another parole hearing. And to this day, she still maintains her innocence. Of course she does. Now, for people who may have never heard of this story, or have never looked into it that much, even if you have heard it, watch the 2020 show. Look up videos of her, because it really just shows how absolutely insane this woman is. Like, you know, you say the story, but you don't really get the full sense of it until you go actually see her doing it. Because it's just like, it blows your mind. And it makes you so angry. God, it makes you mad. Oh, yeah. It does. Because it's like... It's one thing that you've done this, but it's the fact that you're like, oh, this is all about me. And you have clearly no empathy or regret. And she can't even pretend. It's almost like it's impossible for her to even pretend that she feels any type of remorse. Like, she makes me almost just as mad as the dang Chris Watts story makes me mad. It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's because we have, like, videos of both of them doing their bullshit oh and i always and it's the same thing with the chris watts story i get so pissed if you don't want to be a parent just walk away you don't have to murder your children i know some somebody will take them also these her children had like parents i don't know you know where their dad steven played into this situation i mean she not that she would have cared even if you know i don't know like why couldn't she said i don't want these kids please you raise them or something but she clearly was not sane absolutely not and she had some it seems she just had some weird thing about being pregnant which her husband clocked like early on which is very odd very odd Well, I kind of understand that, though, why she might feel that way for a couple reasons. One, if she loves attention, obviously, if you're pregnant, people are always like, oh my gosh, you're glowing. Like, when are you know, they're going to ask you 27 questions about like Mm -hmm. your due date and whatnot. Uh, so she probably loves that sort of attention. But then I also know that when you are pregnant, you get kind of like these these good hormones in your body, uh, which is why a lot of women will experience postpartum depression because after they have their children, they don't have these good hormones anymore. Uh-huh. So I don't know if it's maybe something about like that. Maybe she like liked the way she felt. Um, but yeah, that's... Th- that is why I would think she would enjoy being pregnant. That makes sense. Definitely the attention part, for sure. Uh, but this, I don't even know. Does she, also, I know that her name is Diane Downs, and it may be a little on the nose, but to me, she kind of, she looks a little bit like Princess Diana. They have the same uh, little hairstyle going on. Well, she might have, you know, liked Princess Diana. I know, that's what I was... to model herself after it. Honestly. But anyways, that was my horrible story. Yeah, but she is nothing like Princess Diana. Oh, God. No. Don't even, don't even talk about that in the same sentence. My MAGA will be all over you. (laughs) My mom will. If you, if you, if you want to get 
a woman over the age of 35 or 40 fired up, you say something bad about Princess Diana, she'll, they'll lose their shit. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, as Americans, we love to talk about the royal family. They're so interesting. It's more interesting than our ratchet old presidents. Ugh. It's true. It's true. And there's so much drama. And they, they last forever. Like, it's uh-huh. like every, like, four to eight years we get a different president. So, like, it's not as exciting. No. It's just more annoying. And the royals are just but, so, yeah. they're, like, secretly sneaky, I feel like. I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like the outright, uh, I like, I like the sneaky shit talking. That's what I'm about. And I know that's what they're about. And the politicians in America, they're just loud and in each other's face. Why don't we got why don't we get a game of telephone going and then see what comes back, you know? That'll be the schmear campaign. A telephone. Absolutely. Telephone across America. I feel like, I feel like British people are similar to Southern people uh-huh. in the regard to like if a southern person doesn't like you you'll never know that they don't like you exactly they'll never say it to your face exactly. and i feel like that is the way the british are they just sort of like are just out here you know but like they're kind of like backstabby you know i think so, so too. i think that's why i like it i could fit in well in in uh great britain oh yeah could you imagine the two of us country bumpkins in the uk they would love us this accent money i'll go to great britain and be a i'll go to great britain and i'll be the first female great british southern drag queen all right i really i support it yeah there may already be female drag queens out there biologically female drag queens if there's a scene out there please somebody tell me for the love of god i am dying to do it well let her know taylor needs to know so What's our theme for next week? Well, so it's funny that you bring that up. So we will not be having an oh, yeah. episode <laughs> next week because I will be on vacation. Um, Taylor got to go on her nice little beach vacation at the beginning of summer. I am going to go on my beach vacation next week and I'm going to Florida. Um, I'm going to be sitting on the beach. And so that leads me into the theme for the following week, which is florida man slaughter yikes you see what i did there mm-hmm. see that play on words yes yes florida man slaughter um it doesn't necessarily have to be a manslaughter case it can be any sort of true crime case i just did that because i thought it'd be funny so anything that's like a true crime related in florida i'm sure there's lots maybe i'll get a story of a a gator who's out to get revenge on all of the people who have wronged him in the state of Florida. Absolutely. Um, a gator rolls up and shoots you. <laughs> a gator with a clock. <laughs> you gotta watch out for him, man. You gotta watch out for him. And, uh, and he's wearing I, uh, like a fedora and a gold chain. Okay, I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he, he's like a mob boss, essentially. Exactly. He said, you owe me money, bitch. It's all over for you. Uh, and you gotta watch out for them fucking gators, though. They smart. They cl- they know how to climb fences. I saw this video where this gator um, it stood up on its legs and was l- ringing this lady's doorbell. Trying to get into her what house. What, did he want a cup of sugar? 
I don't know. God. He was probably trying to contact you about your extended warranty. <laughs> Damn it. But yeah, you gotta, I love watching like crazy gator videos like that. Like this one lady, she was like asleep in her house and I guess she had floor to ceiling windows in her kitchen and she heard some commotion and it was like two in the morning. She was like, what the hell is that? This gator had smashed no. through the window in her house and had crawled into her kitchen and she had like a wine rack and it had hit the wine and there was just red wine everywhere. She had to lock herself in the bathroom, call 911, man. <laughs> oh, God, I'll be dead. That also, like, wouldn't affect me in the slightest, because if I, I like, I'm just such a heavy sleeper. If a gator broke into my house, I wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, Brandon wouldn't know. I would know. I would hear the gator, or Tex would hear the gator. That's why I, that's why I have Tex. He's on gator alert. <laughs> Yeah, you really gotta worry about gators here in central North Carolina. Hey, I got a bunny that's been casing my house for about a month now. I don't know what the fuck he wants. I gave him some lettuce. <laughs> I gave him some lettuce and he didn't eat it. He just stared at me. So, I'll let you, I'll let you know if he makes his break in any day. He could be any day now. Oh, yeah. He's, I've heard those bunnies are hard in criminals. I know. I owe him some money. I hate to hear that you're... Yeah, I hate to hear that the neighborhood's gone to hell. I know. Text, we might have to get a text on the case. Anyways, though, my bunny is really cute. I want to pet him, but he keeps running away. And he might have a disease, so I probably shouldn't. Mm. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, but, thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, follow us on all our shit. Yeah, Instagram, Twitter. I mean... I don't know why you'd follow us on Twitter, but you can. Uh, Facebook. TikTok. Yeah. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please. That would be fantastic. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. That's how That's how I always know about my podcast. I hear it from people. Tell your friends. That's the best way. You got friends that like true crime. You got friends that don't. Tell them about it. They might like it. They might just like a good southern accent. Listen, if you tell your friend about it, and you say you text it to them. You say, hey, listen to this podcast. You drop the link. You send it to somebody. You send us a screenshot of that. As long as we don't get 10,000 screenshots. Yeah. I'll send a koozie. I'll mail you a koozie. Yep. All right. Sign up. Easy money, man. <clears throat> Easy. But yeah, that's it for us this week. Y- y'all have a good weekend. And, and uh... I think that's about it, yeah. Stay weird, everybody. Yup. Goodbye. Goodbye.